0: And here we have the life of Joseph. As we pick up here in chapter 41 and we'll take a look at the first 37 verses. It seems like a lot of scripture to cover tonight, but really it's a repetition of a couple of dreams that Pharaoh has. But this much like the situation we just prayed for. You know, sometimes the Lord leaves us in his school of ministry for longer periods of time. I'm sure some of you have had people in your own life or maybe you're one of those people that took you a little longer to graduate than others. Anybody know anybody like that? You know, it almost seems like they're a a habitual student, if you will. Sometimes in ministry, sometimes in life and living before the Lord, we can be in that university of ministry for a long time. Joseph is about to graduate He's about to finally uh, get his degree, and he now has been for 12 years in this school of ministry in Egypt. He's been in prison. He's now spent an additional two years in prison after being placed there really for not only nothing that he himself actually did, but really because he stood for righteousness. Righteousness. He ends up actually in prison. God uses absolutely everything in our lives. Even unfair things, painful things, things we don't understand. He also uses good things. He uses good times, he uses prosperity. But very often in the school of ministry, it seems to be those things that are difficult, those things that are hard that the Lord uses to do those great deep works in our lives. I myself have experienced those things, have had those things in ministry, i have had extreme highs, have had extreme lows from a human standpoint in ministry, times when you just, you think, Lord, why are you allowing this? To what end are you going to use it And very often we actually begin to question the goodness of God in those times. And while we have no record of Joseph questioning God's goodness, uh, we certainly couldn't blame him if he did. Amen? He's been in prison. And so sometimes when people come with problems, and they seem to be long playing ones, we have to be careful that we don't begin to treat them in a way that, diminishes the faith that it's taken to suffer long to go through very difficult times sometimes for a very long time in those very difficult times and such is the case here in Joseph's life Uh, but he's now about to get promoted he's about to receive his degree if you will and so uh, would you pray with me and we'll pray for our time in the word father thank you for the life of this great man Lord, this example, one whom we could model our own lives after, steadfastness, and ability to just hang in there when it seemed like uh, things were too difficult. But Lord, you saw him through and you're going to make his name great amongst the nations. And so Lord, we pray that you would bless us with your presence, Lord, that you would do great things in us tonight as we study your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Verse one, Genesis 41, and then it came to pass at the end of two full years. So the butler and the baker, they've gotten out. They've been doing their own thing. They've been having a great time. Uh, They've been released. Joseph is still in prison for two more years. That Pharaoh had a dream. And we're getting to see a repetition here in Joseph's life. And again, I I wanna remind you that nowhere in the New Testament are, are we really encouraged to be interpreters of dreams. There are a couple of them there. Um, but they're in the life of the apostles. They're they're used really to uh, bring a couple of truths and then they're not mentioned again and we certainly don't see the church, the early church teaching interpretation of dreams. Uh, But here in Joseph's life, uh, they're used because they give God glory in a heathen culture that was prone to trying to interpret dreams. And so it makes sense that in the Egyptian culture when mystics would be employed when people would be brought into the Pharaoh's court uh, to speak into his life for the things that he you know, saw after he had a meal. Uh, here, here it is that we find uh, Joseph in that place once again of interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. That Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he stood by the river. And whenever you see the river in reference to Egypt or Pharaoh, it's exactly one river and that's the River Nile. The River Nile was considered the source of all life. And so in, in Egyptian uh, pantheon in the, the gods of the Egyptians, the river itself was actually a god. And so he sees himself standing by, this, by the river uh, that was the source of all life in Egypt. And suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine and looking fat, and they fed in the meadow. And then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking cows that were fat. And so Pharaoh awoke, and I'm gonna awake after that dream myself, the cannibalistic cows of Pharaoh. Um, and so Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good, And behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind that sprang up after them. And then the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump heads and the full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. And I'll bet you about that time he's thinking, whew, glad that was a dream. So Pharaoh has a dream, and it's a very interesting one. Now, Joseph has been in the Lord's school of ministry. He's been locked away all of this time. And it's good to remember that uh, the butler and the baker that were put in the same prison as Joseph have been released. They're, you know, they're, they're now able to enjoy life. But Joseph had correctly interpreted their dreams. So part of even the Lord getting them out early has set Joseph up to be used at this point in time. So sometimes we see in our own lives that God actually allows things to happen to us, albeit unfair and unjust, that he intends to use at a later date and maybe even in your own life he is going to use that to do an even greater work than if he had allowed you to get out of that situation at that time. Uh, I can think of a couple of ministry experiences in my own life to where I'm thinking, you know, it's like, Lord, are you gonna keep me doing the same thing over and over again? You know, I'm really getting tired of flying to foreign countries and doing all these projects for Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. you know, I'd like to not have to do that anymore. And then I look at what the Lord did through some of those trips, and they are the very things that have established some of the works that we're currently doing today. So the Lord had a plan, even though it seemed like to me this was just another construction project. One that I already had way more experience in in doing than I really needed to have at any point in time in my life. And it seemed like it was an unnecessary thing at the time, but it was something very necessary because the Lord was doing something in me that I could not see at that time and it would be years before I would be able to see it. And so the Lord is working in Joseph's life that way. And so he's been known to be a interpreter of dreams. And as he's in prison, the days turned into weeks Those turned into months, which turned into years, and it seemed like he was never going to get out of the the school of God's ministry, the school of hard knocks. Joseph had been forgotten by everybody, which was the basis of our last study here in the book of Genesis. Uh, he, he, He has been maltreated by his brothers, by his own parents, by the butler, by Potiphar, by his evil wife, by Pharaoh. Basically everybody but God has mistreated Joseph. And so maybe you're in that space in your life where you think it's like, man, how much worse can this get? How many more people can forget that I'm here on this planet? How much more disrespect can I get than what I've already received? And the answer for us very often is we need to wait on the Lord for him to show us why it is he's allowed that in our lives. That's not a comfortable place to be. It's a difficult place to be. Before we came out tonight, I was sitting in the green room talking with Alex. And, you know, we've had some people that the Lord has raised up here in the church and has moved to other ministries. And, you know, when you you first see those things happen, I get questions sometimes like, well, you know, what happened? You know, how come? And you, you get those types of questions. And all of a sudden, you look at what God is doing now, and it's far greater than what he was doing before. And so not only is the church here blessed, but the churches where those people went are blessed. And the Lord is actually using those gifts, even though it seemed to hurt. It seemed to be something negative. It seemed to be a painful experience. God's taken and he's he's subtracted from us and then multiplied out of us. And so we can't underestimate God's ability to see things that we can't see. He knows what he's doing, and he allows everything for a purpose. And if he is not allowing it, then he's actually ordaining it. He's causing it to happen. God sees what other people forget. God sees what you don't understand perfectly. And while it's been two years since the close of the previous chapter, and Joseph has spent two years in prison, no doubt pondering. He's like, man, I've been maltreated here. But Pharaoh now has a dream and there's not a single person in all of Egypt that can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And so because of what is going to happen in Joseph's life, Joseph is going to be taken from prison and he's going to be put in the top of the pinnacle of the government of Egypt. He's going to go from the pit to the pinnacle. He's going to go from the cellar to the penthouse. He is going to move from being absolutely no one to being next to the top guy in the land. He's going to be the grand vizier of all of Egypt. He's going to be the number two man in all of Egypt. Partly because he's been left in prison. Because if he had gotten out, where would he have been? No doubt he would have fled Egypt. No doubt he would have gone back to Canaan. And there's going to be a famine in the land of Canaan. And the children of Israel are going to to need to be delivered from that famine. And because God keeps Joseph in the land of Egypt and promotes him, he's actually going to use Joseph to bless those who actually hurt him as we get towards the end of this amazing book. And in that case, uh, here comes the story that you know, is so important for us to remind ourselves of because none of us are exempt of that principle in James chapter 1. We are to count it all joy. Amen? We're, we're to assign it into a category in our lives that God is doing something that ultimately he is going to use for good that we may not be able to see in the moment, but we are to count all things joy as we fall into various trials, diverse things, Scripture says. Why? Because the knowing that when we know our faith is being tested, when we see that test go on and we get through that test, it produces patience in us. You think Joseph has some patience about now? You think after 12 years of maltreatment in uh, an Egyptian prison, being castigated by his own family, do you think Joseph has a little bit of patience and compassion? Do you think he knows a few things that he probably didn't know before he went to Egypt? And the answer's got to be yes. As James would remind us there in verse 4 of chapter 1, well, we then let patience have its perfect work, its perfecting work, the work that completes, if you will, that we ourselves might be complete and lacking nothing. And the reason that's so important is sometimes the only way to do the work that God wants to do is to put us in harm's way, to put us into a place that we wouldn't go voluntarily. Look, I can do a little survey. How many of you like to have trials? Good. That means you're all sane. No, none of us choose trials, right? None of us wake up in the morning, boy, I hope I get abused today. You know, I just was really thinking, I would like to have somebody just castigate me and call me all kinds of horrible things and throw me in prison. None of you are going to sign up for that, right? And yet it is in that place when you're going through those things that you learn some things you're not going to learn when everything's rosy. When everything's going well, when you're going through difficult times, you learn different lessons than you learn when you're having everything going your way. And God knows the measure of what you need to know and how you need to grow. He knows the exact proportion that you need so that you will be complete and lacking nothing. You don't know that, neither do I. How many of us have learned compassion through pain? Anybody learned that lesson in life? I have. I have. I have learned to be more compassionate towards people going through difficulties because I myself have been through difficulties. I've learned to be loving in the face of adversity because I've gone through adversity and I've been maltreated. I've had people seemingly not care. So you know what happens? You learn tenderness you learn gentleness how about when you have power and someone abuses you and you could do something to them but you choose not to you see you learned meekness because maybe at some point in time you knew what it was like for someone to exercise their authority over you just because you could just because they could do that to you they did You went through that difficult thing. How many of you have learned to appreciate the things that God gives you in life because you've not had things in life? Amen? When you go through those difficult, those dry experiences where it's like your whole life is a desert, you appreciate a little tiny cup of water, don't you? That's what's going on in Joseph's life. He is being made perfect for all that's going to happen later in his life and in essence you could say he's gone to school because he was not ready for the great things that God was going to do so God leaves him in that school until he's ready now for those of you that have been to college I'm pretty sure most of you have taken courses that you didn't want to take you know, like the psychology of basket weaving or something. You know, you, you, you go to college, or even in high school, it's like, I, you know, why do I need to study calculus? Nobody does calculus anymore. But then you find out that there's a handful of professions that if you know a little bit of calculus, or you know some algebra true, too, or some trig, or some geometry, you know, you never would think that, hey, I am going to be in the construction trade. I might want to know a little bit about geometry. You see, it doesn't make any sense when you're going through it. It only makes sense when you get to where you're going. That's Joseph. It's about to make sense because he's about to get where the Lord wants him to go. And this truth that we see in this passage, all these virtues that are developing in Joseph's life or the principle that we see there in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations. And I pray that we learn how to glory in tribulations. Why? Because tribulation produces perseverance. Being able to suffer long and be kind. Being able to take the long road and be okay with the long road. And perseverance, character, you know, character is what you are on the inside. People may have an opinion about you, but your character is internal. And when you've learned to take the long road and do the hard thing for as long as it takes, you end up with character. It develops character in you. And one of the things that I think we're missing a little bit in our modern culture today is, is just the ability to work hard to suffer long we have so many people that have grown up with so many wonderful things that we've kind of forgotten what it's like to actually have to work to get them there's something that's learned in that crucible of suffering long joseph's learning that and to that character hope You know, when you have character, you can endure for a long time believing that what God has said is true. But when you don't have character, when when you get reduced back past the perseverance and the tribulations that brought you to that place, then ultimately your hope is kind of thin. Your hope is really based more on an expectation of payment for the things that you've been through. Real hope is is based on real character that came from real perseverance that came from real tribulation. You see, when those things are real to you, the hope is real. And I'm hoping in heaven. As I was thinking about Buddy today, you know, he, know, he's, he knows Jesus. He, he has served so faithfully in this ministry. And his hope is in heaven. And that hope has become real because of where he is right now. He has an inoperable brain tumor on his brain stem. And, and the doctors are saying, we, we don't have really any hope that we can fix this. But Buddy's hope is not in the doctors. Buddy's hope's not in getting well. Buddy's hope is in heaven. And so all of the trials, the tribulations, the things that he's gone through have brought him to this place to where there's peace in that moment where it gets real. When your walk gets real with the Lord, that's when your hope should be the greatest. When it gets tested, when you're going through that difficulty, that's when your hope ought to be the greatest. Your hope should not be shaken if it's anchored in heaven. That hope doesn't disappoint. Because the love of God that's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us is that guarantee. You see, Joseph understood these things, and he's now coming to that place to where he can truly say that he understands that God uses everything in our lives. God uses every experience in your life. Have you ever thought about that? God uses everything. He misses nothing. Now, back in the day, they don't really do this much anymore. But but when I was a young person, they actually still had real models. And, and, And it took days, weeks to put these things together. And it was interesting because you always had the friends that went through the model really quickly and they basically assembled the major parts and then tried to put some stuff on the outside so it looked like they actually finished it. But you could always tell when you lifted up the cockpit of the plane, or in my case, I I built a a replica of old Ironsides, the USS Constitution, complete with full rigging. It took me like four weeks to do this thing, every moment of my spare time. But you needed every last piece and you're breaking off these little things that, you know, they're, they're so small you, can, you have to use tweezers to put them on the ship. Can I tell you that the model of your life has pieces in it that are so small that God needs tweezers to put them on the model of your ship. And they're important because without them, you cannot hold the rigging that's going to hold up the mast or maybe it's going to be some little tiny piece that without it it no longer looks real you need all the pieces of your life every piece god's got a purpose for every last piece of your life and you look at this story and you can kind of see it because god's going to use joseph to get the family of jacob out of canaan and away from the canaanites these heathen people that will destroy them if they stay there they're going to go into idolatry if they stay in the land of canaan if there is not a famine then they are going to absolutely perish from the face of the earth they're going to get absorbed by these evil people and they're going to end up settling in a place that god's going to call goshen which simply means the best land. And so when you look at the, these things going on, look at some of the crazy things that get used in this life. The first thing that we see is, is you have this famine. Nobody wants famine. No, nobody wants to go without. You know, I talk to people, one of the things they never ask me, you know, I wish we had more famine in the United States. You know, I I just really can't wait for the next one. No, nobody wants that. But you know what? You learn to appreciate what you have when you have famine in your life, amen? When you go through times of want, you really appreciate the things that you have. So God does use famine. How about this crazy, cannibalistic corn in this dream? It's like, what's that all about? Well, if you understood kind of how Egyptian religion worked at that time. You have the chief god, which is Ra, the sun god. But in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, um, there actually is a god of vegetation, and that god of the vegetation is also uh, the god of the of the netherworld or the underworld. And Osiris was that god, and that god was represented by a cow. And so this is part of Pharaoh kind of mixing up his religion a little bit. And so Joseph is actually going to be speaking into his life about trusting in his Egyptian gods. He said these big fat cows that you think actually guard the underworld that are also the god of crops, well, they're going to turn on each other. And here's what happens in the life of people when they follow after a false god. Eventually that false god gets consumed somehow. It's going to be proven to be false. And so here comes the cows and the corn and you've got the situation to where the fat cows eat the skinny cows and the wind comes out of the Sinai. Uh, One of the things that you understand very quickly when you travel to the southern end of Israel and you're looking across the Gulf of Aqaba at Elat, and you're looking into you know, the Sinai or the Anvil of the Sun, which is the hottest part uh, of, of Saudi Arabia, and to the other side you're looking to Egypt, uh, and you, you sit here and you, you examine this area. When the wind starts to blow down there, it's like sticking your face in a convection oven. I mean, it is, it is a different kind of hot, and it's a different kind of dry And so God is basically saying, look, all this abundance you have, all the fat cows, well, you know, this isn't going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. Because man makes his plans, but God actually ordains our steps. And we can do all the things that we think we need to do to make sure we've taken care of every single eventuality, and yet God still allows things into our lives that we can't plan for. And he does so that we end up trusting God and so pharaoh has this dream uh kind of mad cow disease if you will Uh, verse eight and he goes on to say and now it came to pass in the morning that the spirit was troubled that would be pharaoh and he sent and called for all the magicians of egypt and all the wise men so he's going to call out because pharaoh can do that right doesn't matter where you live in the Egyptian kingdom, which at that point in time extended from the southern end of modern day Israel, all the way down to about the center of Africa, and all the way across the continent of Africa into modern day Tunisia. It was the entire north coast of Africa. And so this is a gigantic area. So we don't really know how long this took, but he sent out into all of Egypt, and said, I want every magician I want every wise man. And the Pharaoh told them his dreams and there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Now look at God's sovereign plans, verse nine. And then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. I remember the things that I did. I remember being in prison I remember my sin. I remember, actually, I probably should have told you about this guy that was in prison because he actually spoke up for me. And in all of that, you can see the providence of God. Out of all the people that Pharaoh could bump into, he's called for all the magicians, all the wise men in all of Egypt, plus his regular court, everybody that he normally talks to, and yet here's this one guy that just happens to have been imprisoned with Joseph. You ever had those things happen in your life? It's like, how did you end up here? Where did you come from? You know, we met one time in the middle of some other nation 10 years ago, and all of a sudden, here you are in my life again. Joseph didn't understand those things at the time. He didn't understand why the butler's getting out. He didn't understand why the baker you know, ends up you know, hung because of his, his crimes. But they're, all, they're not in prison anymore. But Joseph is. So the chief butler is basically saying, oh, now I just remembered that I promised the young guy that's down there in prison I was going to speak to you about him. And oh, by the way, Pharaoh, he can interpret di- dreams. So out of all the people, here, here's the divine providence of God at work in somebody's life. Two years after the guy's completely not done what he said he was going to do verse 10 and then pharaoh was angry with his servants put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard both me and the chief baker and we each had a dream one night he and i and each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream and now there was a young hebrew man who was there a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man. He interpreted according to his own dream and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. And so it happened. He restored me to my office and he hanged him. So now Pharaoh is actually getting first-hand understanding and knowledge that he has in his prison somebody that's able to help him after everybody in his entire country has been unable to help him that is the providence of god and that's god working in a way that we would not want him to work probably but it's going to be the best for joseph it's going to be the best for the kingdom it's going to be the best for god's plans and all these occultists all over egypt were helpless they were hopeless the fortune tellers the necromancers the all of the people whom have been around throughout history who were demonically inspired undoubtedly Connected with demons and fallen angels and you know these people that you know Satan uses to control governments. In this case, Pharaoh's dreams had been not been generated by evil spirits. They needed to be interpreted by somebody who actually knew what God was speaking into Pharaoh's life. Because God was actually going to use Pharaoh. And finally, the chief butler remembers that there's joseph in prison and ultimately he's going to expose the sins of pharaoh he's going to use these crazy wild guys that interpret dreams and all of these things god's going to actually use to to bless the children of israel ultimately and ultimately he's going to bring forth messiah amen jesus is going to come remember jesus is jewish And while they're not yet to that place that's who this is and then pharaoh sent and called joseph and they brought him in quickly out of the dungeon and and just so you know hebrew men didn't shave a beard was considered a sign of authority the longer the bigger the beard the smarter you were and and so joseph is going to yield in the in the culture that he's in and he shaved and changed his clothing he came into pharaoh Uh, and basically pharaoh's saying look i've tried everybody else but nobody can get this my butler recommended you i think he was in prison with you Uh, and so as you look at this joseph's going to get really a new life out of this a new ministry out of this Uh, and you can see several things that are going to happen his new life he's now set free what happens to us when we're released from the bondage of sin and death we're set free Amen." And so here, here Joseph again is this beautiful picture, this this Christoph, this Christology, of, if you will, uh, of looking like Christ. He's a picture. He's a window in, into the life of the Lord Jesus Himself, and really our lives as we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, he changes his prison garb and puts on his proper clothing. He does the Colossians three thing. He puts off the old, puts on the new. And so here comes Joseph into this picture. This picture that ultimately is going to paint us a picture of jesus and as far as joseph is concerned as he stands before pharaoh he's kind of this impetuous young foreigner he's been a slave for 12 years and he's standing in front of the most powerful monarch on the face of the earth and now he has boldness before this guy he's like so what's up what's up pharaoh you want me to interpret your dream You know, it's amazing how quickly you can go from the basement to the penthouse when you're in the middle of God's will. Don't underestimate God's power to change the circumstances and situations instantaneously. He he actually goes from powerless to powerful. When Jesus died, it looked like he lost, amen? But he actually won, amen? He defeated sin and death. When he died and was raised again, the devil lost. It looked like Joseph was going to lose, but he's going to be raised up and brought to a new place of power. Joseph went from having no voice in prison. No one's listening to him. The guy that he actually helps get set free as the baker and the butler are released, they completely forget about him. And now he's got the ear of Pharaoh himself. That's a message for us. We need to be careful Uh, about how we view the things that God allows into our life like God doesn't know what he's doing God does know what he's doing and you can have a whole bunch of peace when you just simply acknowledge the fact somehow God's going to use this and now he has this voice verse 15 it says Pharaoh said to Joseph I've had a dream there's no one who can interpret it I heard it said that you can understand the dream and to interpret it I want you to know that probably the most important verse in this entire passage is what follows in verse 16. Because there's nothing that happens in our lives that should be outside of what's going to be said next. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. Pharaoh, it's not me. I really can't do anything. Actually, he's echoing Paul's admonition, apart from you, apart from the Lord, I can do nothing. So he would write to the church at Philippi, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he gives God the glory. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph goes from really kind of being almost a, a shameful thing to bringing God glory. He goes from that place of no one knows who he is or what he's doing to everybody wanting to know what Joseph has to say because he speaks for God. He gives glory to God. Everything that we do, everything that we are, all that we possess, everything that's in our control or under our stewardship is the best way to look at it. All that we have while we're on this earth as believers is actually not ours. It still belongs to God. We're stewards of it. We're stewards of time and talent and treasure, resources. You're stewards of your voice. You're stewards of your mind. You're stewards of everything. And Joseph says the one thing that's the most important here is, He says look nothing's coming out of me if you're going to get an interpretation god's going to give it to me and it's coming from him for you you realize that could have gotten him killed he's basically saying pharaoh look your gods have produced nothing they've been silent it's kind of like Elijah on Mount Carmel, amen. What are your gods doing? Are they, you know, they're using the bathroom right now? Joseph's kind of in the same place. He's in the same space. He's saying, "Look, you called on all your wise men, and they're not all that wise, are they? But I just want you to know something. When I speak these words, they're coming from my God." He's basically saying, "Thus says the Lord." And then Pharaoh, verse 17, said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, and he repeats now the dreams a second time. In my dream I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. And each of it had ugliness, as I had never seen in all of the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and the ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And then, when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as in the beginning. I love that part. It's like they didn't get any fatter because they ate the the fat cows, even though now the fat cows are inside of the skinny cows. But nonetheless, Joseph is saying, Look, so I awoke, and also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up out of the one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven heads withered and thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven heads. And so I told this to the magicians, but there was not one who could explain it to me. Joseph becomes God's mouthpiece. He says, look, oh, I'll tell you, but I'm going to tell you who's telling you. It's not going to be me. There's a couple of details here that weren't recorded earlier, but essentially it's the exact same story and joseph becomes god's mouthpiece at this time and we continue in verse 25 and then joseph said to pharaoh the dreams of pharaoh are one so you think you've had two dreams you you think you've seen multiple visions you 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 believe you've had the same dream maybe even twice they are one god has shown to pharaoh what he should what he is about to do basically he's saying look i i know what's going to happen the seven good cows are seven years. Anytime, almost without exception, unless it's a strictly numerical value. Uh, in these situations, seven in, in Hebrew numerology is the number of completion. It's a number that's normally assigned to either being totally complete or finished. Uh, it is a number that when there are seven of anything, uh, generally that's, that's a finite number. It's like this is the number. he said the seven good cows are the seven years and the seven good heads are seven years and the dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up, out, came up after them are seven years and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. And this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph's saying look, God's telling you what's going to happen. He's given you forewarning. And indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all of the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all of the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. And so the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it. And it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. And so Joseph speaks into Pharaoh's life. And in essence, this is his, kind of his doctoral dissertation of ministry, if you will. He's saying, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what God's speaking into your life. You know, there's an interesting thing that happens as we serve the Lord. There are going to be times when you are going to be chosen to speak for the Lord. And very often that happens when you're dealing with somebody's situation and there is an absolute direction that the Lord's word has for that situation. Somebody comes to you and they're struggling and maybe some behavior or some attitude or something in their life, some circumstance, situation, some relationship. And they come and say, hey, Jeff, you know, I kind of I've been having bad dreams about all this stuff going on in my life. And, you know, I'm involved in this thing. And, you know, can you can you help me understand this? And here's what happens. You pull out the word of God, and here it is. It speaks to that exact situation. It says, look, you can't continue in this path. If you do, you're going to end up someplace you don't want to go. It's not my job to interpret what God has already said. It's my job to say what God has already said. If God has spoken, that's the end of it. So, when God has an opinion about something, He's very clear about it in His Word, we can speak just like Joseph is speaking here by simply saying what God has already said. Just tell them the truth. I have this opportunity all the time. People come and they'll bring me their thing and they'll go, you know, but I just think I'm exempt from the Word. I don't think that, I don't think the Bible applies to my life in that situation. I say, well, then you have a problem with God. Because you don't believe what he said. You think there's going to be another answer for you, and I'm telling you, he's not going to give you another answer. And just like Joseph was saying here, look, you're going to have some famine. Oh, there's going to be years of plenty. You're going to go through a time where you're going to think it's going to be all fine, but make no mistake, there's going to be an equal number of years of famine, and it's going to be harsh you're going to get that opportunity in your life to be the voice of the Lord. Joseph became that mouthpiece. and He, he begins to speak of, for the voice of the Lord in a heathen land. Can you imagine that every single time for 14 years in the land of Egypt, Joseph was in prison for 12. For 14 years... The people of the land of Egypt were going, There's one Hebrew guy who told Pharaoh this stuff was going to happen. And for seven years, there's plenty. And all the Egyptians are going, Yay, Joseph! Yay, Joseph's God! And then in the eighth year, the famine begins. And they weren't going, Yay, Joseph! They're going, I can't believe that rotten guy Joseph. But it did not stop them from understanding that Joseph was absolutely correct and that Joseph's God had answered and that Joseph had a connection they didn't have. And so whether they liked it or not, they had to know that Joseph's God was different than the sun god Ra or Tot. or Osiris or amun they're they're wandering around going like man all of our guys couldn't do anything about this but this one hebrew guy who was in prison who shaved like us came out and told pharaoh the truth He, he graduated and he graduated summa cum laude by the way he's like top of the class and he's going to tell them about his God, Elohim. And as Joseph is speaking, he's actually using God's name. He's saying, my God, the one who is God in three persons, Elohim. That's who I'm talking about. You see, they didn't believe in one God. They believed in many gods. And God is say, he's basically saying to them, I know the true and the living God. He also uses God's covenant name or Lord, Yahweh. He's saying, my God who is the creator God is also the God who is the master of everybody. There's a clear spiritual connection between what Joseph is saying to Pharaoh and that gets back out to the people and this interpretation is so obvious and so forceful that every time someone thought about it they had to go, There's something different about Joseph and his God. You're going to have that kind of boldness in your life. Because we need that kind of boldness in our world. Verse 33, remainder of our passage for tonight. And now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of all of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Joseph is now going to give them the, the plan of action for these times that they're about to, about to entertain that's going to come upon them very swiftly. And he's saying, look, you need to save 20% of everything for seven years. All of the produce... Everything that you grow. And let them gather all the food during those good years that are coming and store it up, and grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. He's saying, Look, you better prepare for this stuff. That the food shall be as a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine so that the the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all of his servants. And so Joseph gives them an action plan. You know, when we speak for the Lord and we're accurate and it comes to pass and the Lord gets the glory for it, people are forced to deal with the fact we know something they don't. And when we give credit only to the Lord that God spoke those words, then they are forced to deal with God. They have to make a determination for themselves. Look, where did those words come from? Oh, he just guessed. Well, in this case, this is so specific that as they engage in this action plan, it's actually going to save the Egyptian people. So do you think that the people of Egypt actually had an influence to to maybe understand that Joseph's God was different than their gods, plural? The ones that they worshipped? So here comes this advice to Pharaoh. And he says, look, gather the food, collect it, keep it. It's going to come to pass. I'm telling you, God has spoken these things. My God, Elohim said these things. Yahweh said these things. And as each step of this, this plan unfolded in these years of plenty and then followed by the years of famine, every single time, they, they, they looked at their own gods their, their god Tot was the Egyptian god of magic. And, and no doubt the magicians that had been called in were chanting, you know, tot, 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 they're you know, they're gonna they're gonna go out. He had the power of knowing all of the names of the other gods, in fact. Which made them all afraid of Tot. And so as the Egyptians would be chanting and yelling and You know they're they're like, well, we can't say his name because he knows the name of all the rest of the gods. And Joseph plainly, bluntly, pointedly says, "Let me tell you the name of my God. He is Elohim. He is El. He is Mighty God, plural. More than two. He's God in three persons." My God is also Yahweh. He is Lord. He's master. My God is actually the master of your gods, plural, is what he's really saying. He's saying my God's different than your gods. You have many gods. I have one God. And my one God is bigger and better and badder than your gods. And so you watch and see if what I say about my God doesn't come true. And the same is true for us. When we give glory to the Lord and those things come to pass, because they will. When we agree with God's word and we put that forth in people's lives and our lives match up with what God said, they are forced to deal with, there's something different about your life. There's something different about your God. There's something different about your Savior. And so Ra and Thoth and Osiris and Anubis were put in their place by a man who's just got out of prison who declared that there was one God in three persons, and that God was Master, Lord. I pray as we think on the life of Joseph, and as you're in the university uh, of your ministry, that you'll take every step that God allows in your life and ask yourself, God, what do you want to do with this? Be open to allowing God to use everything. Put you in places that maybe even you don't want to be. But know that he has a plan for it and when that time comes, that you give glory to the Lord for everything. Amen. We just stand and we'll close in prayer. Worship team's going to come back out, and close us in a song. If you need prayer, we're going to have some pastors up front, you know, maybe you've got something going on, you're trying to figure out why it is the Lord's left you in the, in the school for such a long time, something that uh, you thought you'd be out of, but you aren't yet, but you really want to know what the Lord has to say, maybe just praying with somebody uh, for that time that you're going through would be a great benefit and blessing, so pastors will be available. Got some of you ladies that are here that are serving in the church, you want to come on up, we can use some ladies to pray as well. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For your blessings in our lives, Lord, we thank you that you use all things. That indeed, as Romans eight twenty eight does say, that you work all things together for the good to those who love you, love God, and are the called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, uh, we just surrender our, our trials, our tribulations, our difficulties, our our times that seem to be prison, Lord, where we don't understand exactly what you're doing today. Lord, you give us perseverance for tomorrow and the next day. And Lord, when you choose to pull us out and you set us before kings and magistrates, when you put us before the kings of this earth, Lord, let the one thing that comes out of our lips be that this is directly from you, that the words that we speak and the lives that we live, we live for you and for you alone and for your glory. And so God, we we bless you for using us. Uh, Make us like Joseph, Lord. Make us like Jesus, Lord. Uh, Able to... Continue to endure in those difficult times and and still come out of it at the other side, blessing your name. We ask these things in the name of the blessed one, our one true king, Jesus. Amen.